Kia ora everyone, welcome along to Seeds Podcast. This is Stephen Moe speaking, and every month I've been hosting Impact Calls for about the last two and a half years. And I'm now also releasing them as episodes of Seeds because they give us a short little condensed summary from a couple people about what it is that they're doing. So in this episode, we get to hear from Nicola Nation, who's the CEO of the Akina Foundation, and she tells us all about the amazing work that they're doing to promote impact organizations of all different types. And then we get to hear from Lisa Foster, who's the chief executive of Rare Disorders New Zealand, and she gives us a really good insight into that organization and what it is that they're doing, and it certainly opened my eyes to something I didn't know a huge amount about. Then to finish off, I share a little bit about the Incorporated Societies Act and some of the changes that are coming. If you'd like to join the list of more than 725 other people who get emails and updates about these calls, then just drop me a line. And don't forget to check out some of the other episodes of Seeds in the back catalog, because there's like 300 of those now. Now let's get straight into this episode. Kia ora koto, uh, tēnā koto katoa, no Amerika ho no te tematanga, ko te tai tā toku maunga, ko waitaki toku awa, ko ototahi toku kainga inai nei, heroia toku tunga mahi o Perryfield Lawyers, ko Stephen mō toku ingoa, no reira nā mihi kia koto katoa. It's great to welcome you all to this Zoom impact call. Um, I really enjoy every time, every month, seeing the people coming on and before we started the recording, I was saying there's a lot of you that have been real regulars right from the beginning, which is now uh, more than two years ago. So it's great to have you here, and we're recording so that other people can listen to it later. And just for those of you who this is the first one that you've joined, just to ground it in the background, um, it started during the very first lockdowns. And initially, I thought maybe two or three people will show up. And all of a sudden, there was more like 20 people, 30 people. And so since then, it's continued now on a monthly rhythm and trying to each time get two or three people sharing something of what they're seeing from their particular perspective, looking at it through the lens or the perspective of impact and purpose. So each of you on the call or listening, I know are doing incredible work in what you do, but quite often we can get... Um, focus just on that. And it's helpful sometimes to step back from the perspective of what keeps us busy and say, oh, well, what's happening over here? What's happening over there? So that's the background and the purpose. Um, these things will only grow if people like you tell others. There's now more than 720 people who get the email updates. So there's a lot of eyes sort of seeing it um, and then um, joining in and, and listening afterwards as well. So we're really fortunate. We've got two amazing speakers today, and I'm excited about that. Um, and I'm also, before we dive into that, I am excited that tomorrow is a holiday. So we're recording this on the Thursday before Matariki, and I'm looking forward to having that break. And I hope you all have a great weekend, long weekend as well. Um, so we're going to get into it. The first person I've asked to share is um, Nicola Nation. So she's the CEO at the Akina Foundation. And Akina is a group that I've, I've been in, involved with and doing things with for a number of years. And they have a real focus on empowering and supporting impact-driven companies and enterprises. Um, so it's uh, been really interesting to watch the journey of Akina itself and the, the niche and the place that it plays. So I've asked um, Nicola to share with us, and I'm going to hand straight over to her because 
Nicola, there's a lot happening, and I know that you have several things you'd like to draw to our attention. So over to you. Kia ora. Uh, thank you for having me. Ko Nicola Toku Ingua, Akina Foundation, Ohi Mahi Ana. I am also very excited that tomorrow is Aotearoa New Zealand's first Matariki holiday. And it feels really special and it's been really cool talking to um, colleagues and, and friends and whanau about what they're doing to mark Matariki. Uh, it's actually my father's 70th birthday, so we're hosting a small gathering and uh, the Wellington City Council is putting some fireworks on in the harbour. So that's really special for, for, for my family and, and really cool. Uh, so yes, um, Akina is um, a not-for-profit consultancy. Uh, we work very much and are very much grounded in, in impact um, or what I call the, the so what factor of what it is, the busyness that is that, that you might be doing or our clients might be doing. Uh, we work with organisations right across the spectrum. It's, it's certainly come one, come all uh, with Arkina. We work with New Zealand's largest corporates um, and right through to, to start-up impact-led enterprises. And just a nod to um, Stephen's involvement with Arkina. Um, I've been at Arkina for four years. I was our general manager and moved into the CE role um, eight short months ago. Uh, and over the time that I've been involved, we were heavily focused on social enterprise. Um, as you may know, we were involved in the Social Enterprise World Forum in 2017. But now more and more so we talk about being an impact-led enterprise. So more so than, than what your legal structure might be, whether you're a, a company or, or a charity, that, that doesn't matter. What's important is the positive social and environmental outcomes that are delivered as a result of your great work. So um, that's just a, a tiny bit about us. Um, Stephen, I did create a few slides, but I don't need to use them. Um, am I able to share my screen? Yeah, that's fine. Let me make you a host and then you'll be able to. I'll just do that. Cool. And it's literally two slides. Don't worry, I'm not going to. As, as enthusiastic as I am, I won't hold the mic for too long. Yeah, that's fine. I think you're now a co-host. So. Yeah, so so that's me. So I, I look the same. <laughs> so, so what's happening? There's a few things. And I thought, firstly, I'd speak about um, things that are not actually um, Akina. So you may have been aware that we were hoping to host um, Fano from uh, Australia this week. Uh, to uh, arrange some catch-ups with with, social, with entrepreneurs and practitioners in this area in Auckland, Wellington and Christchurch. Unfortunately, it had to be postponed due to extensive COVID uh, in our Australian cousins. And uh, I'm just re we're rescheduling it at the moment. We're hoping um, tentatively to be able to um, have those meetups on the 11th and 12th of July. And really, it was to speak to the, the New Zealand audience around what they might like to see in the Social Enterprise World Forum program, which is coming up in, in Brisbane in September, uh, to, an, to an opportunity for us to gather in person, kanohi kete kanohi, uh, to, to reconnect and to hear a little bit about um, what is happening um, in, in Australia, as well as some presentations from Elaine Melendin, the um, global chair of the Social Enterprise World Forum. And uh, I was going to chat a little bit around some of our work with government. Um, so those, yeah, so we will, we are re-hosting those and hoping it will be um, sooner rather than later. The Social Enterprise World Forum is happening in Brisbane at the end of September. Tickets, uh, it will be on person and online. Uh, so if you don't have the opportunity to travel, there are <clears throat> online options and tickets for not-for-profits are around $350 for the two days, I believe. So jump online and have a look at that. Um, I wanted to bring to your attention, uh, Stephen had done a great job at shouting out about this on LinkedIn. Um, government agencies in New Zealand 
are required now, it's a new thing, to once every three years provide through to their ministers a long-term insights briefing, and they undertake significant consultation uh, to come up with, with their long-term insights. And it's really uh, telling ministers about things that they need to have on their radar or should be thinking about. Now, fortunately for, for this group on, on this call, uh, MB's long-term insights briefing was released about four weeks ago. And the, the two themes that they are taking up to, to Minister Nash uh, through the CE are um, purpose-led business and blockchain. So when, when I read, and I've been carrying it around with me actually, when I read their insights briefing about purpose-led business, it was just like, you know, hallelujah. I don't think this is a long-term trend. I think it's a current trend, um, but it's certainly something that is uh, generating more conversation, which is fantastic. Uh, the, yeah, the consultation's out at the moment. And it's the opportunity for people to, um, to confirm, really, with MB that they support their view that this is an important way of doing business, that it adds a lot into the economy, that it's you know, a global movement, etc. cetera. Um, Stephen, did you have anything to, to add on that? Uh, no, I'll put in the chat maybe a link to the submission that I did just so that people can see it's actually a simple thing. It's not you don't have to write a big, long essay. Um, yes. But it also, yeah, I think it, I think it's finishing tomorrow. So it's actually, yeah. if you do want to put something in, you know, maybe just type something up and send it off. Um, yeah. And I think, um, yeah, that's a really good point, Stephen. Even just an example of what you were doing and how it's a demonstration of purpose-led business um, would would be enough. Um, and there'll be opportunities for further um, discussions with with the team further down the track. We're, we're engaged, continuing to engage with them on that and encouraging them actually to, um, to get out and about and meet some purpose-led businesses. So um, hoping that something can come of that. Um, I mentioned blockchain as the other trend because it's also really important and has a really big link with modern slavery. So if any of you are interested in that, um, blockchain technologies and how that's used can be, uh, yeah, they're a powerful weapon uh, in, in fighting um, modern slavery. And then the final um, comment there was just about the sector development program, which Arkina was heavily involved in until March last year, so 14, 15 months ago. Uh, in December, um, I know some of you on this call are very familiar with this, a briefing paper went up to ministers on that that was released in April. And we are busy um, chasing down a meeting with Caroline Tremaine, the chief executive of MB, to discuss uh, the ministerial briefing. It went through to um, Minister Nash and Minister Radhakrishna. She's the Minister for Community and Voluntary Sector. And interestingly, has just been um, appointed into cabinet, which I think is great for, for this group and for our, for our mahi. Uh, and we'll be talking to um, Caroline Tremaine about uh, government's views on the recommendations that Arkina had made uh, through the sector development program. Um, just to note that progress there is a lot slower than anyone would like. Uh, it has been scuppered most recently by, by sickness. So um, that's something to, to keep an eye on and is happening as well. And um, Arkina tries to keep everyone updated through our newsletters and, and regular blogs on our, um, yeah, on, our, on our news page. And then just, just really briefly, um, some highlights around what, what's going on for Arkina. I just thought I'd, I'd pull out some, some highlights for you. Um, in the budget, uh, $20 million was announced in the emissions reduction plan for scaling a program around social car leasing. 
This is a program that Arkina launched in late May with um, MB and uh, Waka Kotahi. It's called Waka Aranui, and we're working in partnership with the Manukau Urban Māori Authority to provide um, Toyota hybrid vehicles through to whānau in, um, in the South Auckland community. So for $95 a week, Fano receive um, a, a vehicle that is leased for a three-year period. Uh, it is fully warranted, fully registered, um, and comes with insurance. And this, this program is approving uh, low emission, safer vehicles on the road for Fano, and we're collecting some great data already about the benefits of that. So um, government has given it a bit of a tick to be scaled through the emissions reduction plan. So that's something that we're um, working with the Ministry of Transport on what that program might look like at scale across Aotearoa. So it's very exciting. Um, we're also due to announce the, I, the um, Impact Investment Readiness Program for 2023, uh, sorry, 2022. That's a program that we run annually. Uh, look out for it. It's where we grant out $20,000 to $30,000 to uh, businesses that are looking to get ready to take on, on capital. And that can be spent in any way the business feels the support that they need, whether it be legal or accounting, you know, capital raising strategy support. So we'll be announcing the the 2022 program in the next couple of months. We're just confirming the funding for that from the funding partners. So that, that's happening um, in the social procurement space. Um, if any of you are Arkina Impact Certified Suppliers, um, we'll be opening up our directory. At, at the moment, it's, um, it's only available to uh, subscribed um, buyers from our buying membership group, but we'll be opening up a public version of our directory in the next couple of months. So that means that anyone anywhere can search for social enterprises or impact-led businesses um, through Arkina, which is really exciting. So we've got about 120 so far. If you're interested in hearing more about that, let me know. Um, we've also secured a three-year partnership with uh, Foundation North, which will allow us to continue on capability building work in Titai Tokoro in Tamaki Makoro. So that's that's exciting and allows us to continue our capability building work. Um, and just finally, um, we have some new trustees who've come on board. Um, Cheryl Reynolds, who was the former chief executive of the Zero Waste Network in uh, Raglan, sorry, Extreme Zero Waste in Raglan, and Wayne Bargis, who uh, works with uh, Naitahu. So very excited to bring them on board and watch the space. We will be going out in the next couple of weeks for some vacancies that we have. Um, so encourage you to share those amongst your networks. And I don't know how I'm going for time, but that, that was it from me. That's awesome. Thank you so much. That's great. Um, if anybody has any questions for Nicola, you can put them in the chat and then Nicola, maybe you can pick up and see if there's anyone. I do have a question for you. I'm just curious. Um, yes, how would, cause you've been in the role, you know, you've been with Akina now for a number of years. Yeah. What's your feeling about, you know, purpose-led business and the movement, or I like to mm. call it a movement. And my hope is that one day the movement won't be needed because all mm. businesses are on the same page, but where do you think we're at in terms of, I guess, yeah, it's a vague question, but how are you feeling in terms of what you're seeing on the ground? Because you're talking to lots of different people. Yeah, yeah, and I'll answer that in a slightly roundabout way, not, not that I'm a politician, but um, when COVID hit in March 2020, um, yeah, I was heavily involved with Arkina, and we were like, 
oh my goodness, this is the end of the world for us. This is, you know, this is terrible. Uh, we're a discretionary spend, except, you know, and our corporate clients are going to run away. Uh, and that the reverse has happened. And that what I am seeing um, at the corporate end of the spectrum is, 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 is that organisations are understanding that they want to have a story to tell their employees, that they want to be able to, because employees are demanding it actually, that they want to be able to say, these are the things that we are doing to support the community. These are the things that we are doing to be a good uh, corporate citizen, to have our social license to operate. And so what that means is that the impact-led businesses, those businesses like Arkina that have impact at the core are more and more relevant. Uh, and then, like I say, when you see something like the long-term insights briefing from, from MB, it, it's just, you know, hallelujah, this is what we've been saying. So I think um, in my view and in speaking with my board, it's that the moment is, is now, and particularly uh, with all the, the climate crisis-related initiatives happening across government. That's really good. Thank you. Um, yeah, there's. I've put in the chat the link to the website and things because people may not realize that there's actually a lot of resources there. Um, you've got a lot of good uh, material to work through, you know, measuring impact and um, yeah. lots of lots of resources. So I, I endorse um, spend a couple minutes looking through that. And I also just wanted while we're talking with you, I just wanted to shout out to Anya from Flexroots, mm -hmm. who's on the call. Um, because what they're doing, Flexroots, I'll put a link, or maybe you can put the link in, and yet the, um, what they're doing is kind of regional focuses, and they have a particular focus on social enterprise. Um, and yeah, so, you know, Queenstown Lakes focus, or uh, Wanganui focus, or, you know, wherever it is, and that's kind of a national thing. So um, if you're not familiar with it, it might be worth checking that out as well. Great. Well, thank you so much, Nicola. It's great to hear uh, that update, hear how things are going. And um, yeah, it's hard to believe you've been in the, that role for that long, right? It feels like it was, <laughs> probably feels like it was a short time, but a long time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree yeah. more. Cool. Well, if anybody wants to ask questions, just put them in the chat. And as one of the things, that, one of the reasons I do this call is to show that behind the names there are people. So I'm sure if you're interested in what Akina is up to, that now you've kind of met, you can reach out. And um, also, I think it's important to look for partnerships and collaborations. Like that's got to be where we're headed. Um, cool. So, and in the chat is the link to Flax Roots as well. So next, we are going to talk to somebody different. And one of the purposes of the calls is that we do jump from one particular area to a completely different area. But always the uniting theme is, um, is purpose and, and impact. So I'm just going to go here and make Lisa a co-host. And um, yeah, Lisa has been on many of these calls. I remember way back at the beginning when we were starting them and, and she used to join in and um, have great perspectives and things to add. And so I was just reflecting a couple of weeks ago, like it'd be great to highlight the work that people are doing and and she came to mind. So Lisa, we'd love to hear about Rare Disorders New Zealand because I, I, I think all of us probably can learn a bit about that. I'd love to hand it over to you to, to tell us more. Thank you so much. Tēnā koto kato ko Lisa Foster toko ingoa. So I am pleased to be here. It's awesome to, to be part of the collective as a whole and really appreciate the start of 
of this collective at a time that was really challenging at the first lockdown. So thank you to Stephen and everyone else who's part of this initiative. Um, and definitely aligned with um, Nicola and Akina, we have certainly purpose-led and impactful, hopefully, um, for rare disorders. So I'm going to try and share my screen if I can, and then I can get into um, my presentation. Wonderful to be here and great to have this opportunity just to tell you a little bit more about Rare Disorders New Zealand. I thought I'd better start by explaining my accent. Um, so I am a little bit of a mixed bag and a rare blend. Um, I suppose you'd say a Kiwi, Irish, Geordie, Singaporean uh, with Gibraltar thrown in. So I have lived in lots of different places, um, but I've been here since uh, 2006. And, you know, the um, accent is a Geordie accent with a hint of Irish. Um, I also have been with Rare Disorders for five years and before my, my background is biomedical science. Um, I've also done massage therapy and some positive uh, neuroplasticity work. Um, at this time, I'm also a board member for the Asia Pacific Alliance, which is um, a patient organization alliance across the Asia Pacific region um, for rare disease. And part of the World Health Organization. So they are looking at setting up expert centers for rare disease. And um, I apologize for flipping between the word disease and disorder. It's because in the rest of the world, they use the word disease, but here we chose to use the word disorder. Um, so that global network is extremely strong and it offers an opportunity for a united voice, which is definitely needed in this space. And if we have the ability to have these expert centers, then it's a one-stop shop um, and we can link up internationally to improve diagnosis, improve care and set some standards that would be expectations. So I did want to um, talk about the awareness and the value of awareness for marginalized populations, because without awareness, we're really just sitting in the dark. Um, and that's been a key part for rare disorders. Um, it's been an organization that's been around for 20 years, um, but it is a tiny organization. And it's been quite challenging to raise that profile and build that awareness to actually then have recognition and change. Something I want to acknowledge is the interconnection, the interconnection between all of us. And I really love this quote. So I did want to read this out. So it's from Chief Seattle in, from 1854. And it says, Humankind has not woven the web of life. We are but one thread within it. Whatever we do to the web, we do to ourselves. All things are bound together. All things connect. And I think that interconnectedness means we care about all different parts of society, including those on the fringes. So to honor the diversity and the uniqueness of each of us, and to understand that unfortunately, rare isn't always as visible as in this photograph. Sometimes it's quite difficult to see and quite hidden and therefore isolated and marginalized. To illustrate this, I just very briefly go through, this is one boy's journey. Um, these are all the different components of his journey, obviously too intricate to go into too much detail, but if you could just imagine a situation where your child has these varied symptoms that remain unexplained. You're continuously going back to the doctor, asking them to consider, you know, what, what is happening here? 
And they're, they're thinking maybe this parent is a medically seeking parent, or maybe this parent, it's all in their head. And yet, you know, there's something that is not quite right. So you have to be quite demanding, quite pushy in order to get those answers. Um, and if you are that kind of a person, then hopefully you can get to a diagnosis. But for one in five in a survey that we've just completed, it took 10 years to get that diagnosis. So this particular mind map just is, is for a 15-year-old boy who lives in Wellington. He has a rare chromosome disorder and his rare disorder is possibly um, unique and ultra rare, um, maybe the only person with this particular mutation. So the level of complexity is clear from this picture. The need for really high coordination and what you don't see is the access barriers. They can be quite extreme when you don't have a label or a box to tick. And if you don't have a robust spirit to push, you may fall by the wayside or through the gaps. So what is a rare disorder? So the definition is, is being discussed internationally actually, um, because they don't want to use just a figure because it is actually, if you look at a figure, we use the European definition, which is when it affects one in 2000 people or less, but these, um, these definitions change depending on which country um, you're in. And what they're looking at is a, is a global definition, hopefully, which will also factor in the other parts of the definition, which is that it is life-threatening or life-limiting, chronically debilitating, progressive, um, and low prevalence. So within that picture is isolation or marginalization, and um, mental health burden, often cumulative trauma. Um, and there is a need for multidisciplinary care um, and connection across specialties, which unfortunately, sometimes we don't do so well. We tend to work in silos in that sense. Not all rare disorders are genetic in origin. Some can be caused by environment or viruses um, and autoimmune issues. Um, but some that you may have heard of would be cystic fibrosis, fragile X, muscular dystrophy. And when you put it all together, because there's so many different variations, it actually affects one in 17 people. In America, they say one in 10. So that would equate, if it's one in 17, that's 300,000 New Zealanders. Um, that's a large proportion of our community. And internationally, it's more than 300 million so who can it affect? Well, it can affect anyone. Um, and the reason to care for the people it affects, well, the impact on their life is great. So some of the things that have been um, stated, and there's too many to add, um, but here's some examples. So here, basically, um, the little boy you just saw, his mom said, it's very scary and at times difficult trying to navigate the system. Um, Jared's mom, Alicia, had said, what would be great is if doctors had more understanding towards parents who know when something isn't right with their kids. Sarah explained, I have a crazy hope that one day New Zealand care would develop to where all patients are never invalidated or ignored. And Bernadette's mum, Elizabeth, mentioned, sometimes it can be exhausting and incredibly stressful to look at what's happening and try to convey this to others. We do have a unified voice and I think unity is the word that I would like to focus on. Um, when the rare disorder collective come together, it's extremely powerful. 
um, and very enhancing, I think minor enhancing. We have led a petition, well, actually one of our parents, Sue Haldean, started that petition and asked for a national framework for rare disorders. And this was a picture from our peaceful protest at Parliament. So what are the facts? We had a white paper from a survey that we did recently. We did a survey in 2019 and again last year. And some of the facts are showing exactly what I've explained, the high utilization of health services. And obviously that would be a high cost to the health services, but 87% had seen a GP or specialist in the last 70 days. One in three were presenting to hospital on, uh, annually and an average of 13 days in hospital as an inpatient. 75% um, have explained how difficult it makes everyday tasks, um, but often don't actually qualify or get entry into disability or disability support services, um, especially when it's not a visible disorder that they have. Um, it has caused a decrease in income for 70% of the people that we surveyed, and that often affects um, mothers. Uh, because half of people affected with a rare disorder are children and two-thirds of carers are, are women. So it does limit uh, opportunities and employment chances for, for, for people who have to become carers, full-time carers for their child. And unfortunately, 30% um, of children will pass away before they're five years old. There's also the issue of medicine access. So medicine access, I'm sure you may have already heard about the Pharmac review, but in the survey, 85% of people were taking a medicine for their rare disorder, but most of the time it was ibuprofen or a painkiller, um, not a treatment. So although science has you know, moved ahead in leaps and bounds and we have precision medicine and uh, clinical trials are occurring, our access to these modern medicines is very, very, very poor. So hopefully there will be a change in the air for that. So what's the key to the lock? Um, it's awareness. Having understanding of the issues for the public, for professionals, for politicians, and for our policy analysts, all the Ps, um, that is how we change things because they're then um, understanding and awareness, which leads to a change at a policy level, which le leads to impact at, at the ground and change for people's lives. What we know as well is the marginalized communities for Maori and Pacific and ethnic minorities will be experiencing the hardest pathway, especially with the already discriminatory backdrop um, and lack of trust in the health service. Um, the really important part I think is that a person's experience of the start of their journey is going to be through their GP or health professional or maybe midwife. Um, and it's significantly influenced by the em empathy, compassion and understanding that that person can show. So in other countries such as the UK, as part of their strategy or their framework for rare disease, they have um, a, a portion or a priority that is around education and awareness for health professionals. So that would be something that we will be hopefully looking at. And the good news is we have hope um, from the following the Pharmac um, independent full report review that was released on the 1st of June. The Minister of Health has explained that he will be asking the Ministry of Health to 
co-create a strategy for rare disorders. In order to get started on that, we are still waiting to hear back um, about um, a meeting and, and hopefully that will happen soon. And one of the first steps um, to be taken is to be measured. So obviously having data to be collected which would then improve the understanding around the impact. You know, the only evidence we actually have is from our own survey that we have completed because there is no measure and there's no recognition as a population in this country, which is quite flabbergasting to the rest of the world. So how do we do it? How do we move ahead? I think for me, it's looking at the Fanawara model, looking at our equity, um, the Maori health authority being set up and some massive paradigm changes that are coming in New Zealand. The rest of the world are quite excited about this. Um, I'm excited about it. I think that that is the answer. We have um, a way to have a whanau aura approach which belongs to the people and lets them direct what they need and listens to that to that voice and then is impact, living, uh, impact driven and purpose led. Um, and strength-based, giving holistic principles and solutions, um, which is also displayed in the principles around enabling good lives. So for me, it's extrapolating that out. We don't have to reinvent anything. It's already there. And just putting it in place across this really complicated, um, diverse situation for a person living with a rare disorder in Aotearoa to help them to navigate and have a pathway of care so they don't have to fight alone. I know I would like to live in a society that thinks that way. So just finally, just things to take away um, from this presentation really is just to be rare aware, realize that there's a unified concept of rare disorders as a group, as a collective, as a population, and it's a community of scale. Um, it includes people with rare cancer, um, and we have a group in Australia who we would link up with for, for our rare cancer groups. We have about 10 different groups already as part of our collective with Rare Disorders New Zealand. And we have about 138 different rare disorder groups in that collective. And there is a global community, as I explained, but there is also a commitment and expectation within that global community. So the United Nations adopted a resolution in December last year. And this is to address the challenges that face people with rare disorders and their whanau. So what's next? I think that question has to hang there um, until we meet with the minister and meet with um, decision makers to see how, how we take the next steps. So thank you very much for your time and really appreciate it. That's wonderful. Thank you so much, Lisa. We, we appreciate your sharing. It's um. It's something I think for those of us on the call and who are listening afterwards, at least now, if nothing else, you know, the, the statistics you're giving, like that's a lot of people, you know, so that's a lot of people that at some point we will meet someone who says, I'm just not sure if I'm getting the right diagnosis from my doctor. I'm just not sure. And at least now we'll be empowered with knowing, well, did you know that there's a group that can help, you know? So um, I think that's really powerful just to raise the education and I think today's been quite busy for you as well right you were on the radio this morning is that right I was I was up very early um 5 50 a.m with Rachel Smalley <laughs> so that was a bit intense but yeah but it's it's it, as you said it's 
awareness does make that difference because if there's one in 17 then it would be someone on this call you know and it can happen you know someone said oh we're one diagnosis away you know one appointment away from finding out and unfortunately that's the reality so you know it it is part of all of us so it's um it's not a separate entity you know rare disorders um so i think it's knowing where to go knowing how to get help and really advocating for that change that we need so we have these pathways in place and we have access because we are um falling behind the rest of the world unfortunately i'm not really sure why that is um, but we're seen sort of as a afterthought um whereas in other countries rare disorders is a priority group um because of those challenges i've just you know very briefly touched upon mm. yeah that's that's amazing and, and it's honestly not something I knew a huge amount about. So thank you for sharing and thank you for raising the awareness level, at least a little bit for those of us on this call. And, you know, there might be somebody on the call who has an idea or has a connection or has a suggestion or something. So again, um, you know, this is a chance for us to send ideas to each other and, and reach out to you. I know that you're open to talking with people and you've got a team there who can, um, yeah, work together for the future right so yeah it's good. No, 100 100% and I am moving um, into an independent contractor role as myself um, so I would be working more with the international space and pulling in uh, strategic um, direction and things around you know the broader challenges but still staying involved yeah that's great well thank you so much I think that I think everyone will agree we've heard from two amazing um, speakers today telling us a bit about what they're involved in. And the thing that I always take from these calls is just the passion that every person who comes and shares brings to their particular area that they're involved in. And I know that we could go around the whole, the whole thing and every single one of you would be able to share about what you're doing. But hopefully by hearing these little excerpts, we can then go back to our mahi, back to our work and feel encouraged in what we're doing, knowing that there's all these other people out there working on the trickiest problems that exist in our society today. So thank you both for sharing, really appreciate it. And if anybody wants to reach out to you, then maybe they can put a question in the chat or um, yeah, we can arrange to connect you with them. Um, great, well, we're just gonna finish off. I just thought I'm gonna take only a couple minutes um, just so that it's again on people's radars. Um, I just thought I would talk about incorporate societies really briefly. Um, we've been holding some free sessions for people this month. We've held um, two and we have another three planned. Um, and so this is a chance for us to tell people that if you're an incorporated society or if you know an incorporated society, um, then there are big changes coming and it's going to affect every single incorporated society and there's 24,000 of them. So we've done a resource page um, about all of the changes that are coming. So I'm just going to paste that into the um, chat. And we've got about, I think the last count was about 10 or 11 articles about what the implications are for incorporated societies. And then we've done a recording of the session that we held, and I'm about to make it an audio podcast for Seeds so that people can access the information. Um, and the intent really is to empower people. The way I'm approaching it is that when there's legislation change, it is a chance to reflect on yourself as an organization, 
what type of entity you are, what your purposes are, how you operate, when you have meetings, all of these things that we take for granted. And then over the decades, practice gets built in that maybe could be improved. So I think it's a real opportunity for incorporated societies to have a bit of looking in the mirror time. Um, but just really briefly, this is the, uh, it had a different name than the Unclassified Societies Registration Act from 1895. So this was the first form of incorporated societies, um, which was set up a long time ago. And as you can see, I'm holding the entire act and there's three pages. So they knew how to do it back, um, you know, a hundred and however many years ago. And there's 18 sections. So contrast that with the current act, which has 270 sections. And you can see there's quite a bit of change. Um, there's another act in between the 1908 act, which is the current act. And that one um, has, I think about 40 or so sections. So there's been a big jump from uh, 40 sections to 270 sections. And there's going to be a lot of change. The idea behind it is that um, meetings will be more regulated, how you deal with conflicts, what you do about um, membership, how many members are needed. That's a change now. There's only 10 required. Um, there's a lot of different things that have changed. I'm not going to go into them right now. I just want you to know that there's a lot of resources out there. And the page that I've put in the... Um, chat has heaps of details. So um, the, the point of it is that you may be an incorporated society or you may not be, but you may know of one. And what we're finding is that uh, there's a lot of questions. So we had a call with someone on the Hibiscus Coast two days ago. We're arranging a call with someone in the Waikato very soon. We talk, we're helping somebody in Wellington. You know, we're being contacted across the country because this is something that affects so many different groups all over. Um, so yeah, just wanted to highlight it, let you know that there are changes coming and it may come up in conversation. If you're having those types of conversations, maybe, uh, well, I, I would find it interesting, <laughs> but maybe um, it will come up because think about it, 24,000 incorporated societies and if each one of them in theory have 15 members and some of them have a lot more, that's potentially, you know, hundreds of thousands of people that even if they don't know it, they are touched in some way by a group which is having an impact. So just to let you know that that is a big change. Um, happy to answer questions if people want to reach out separately, then that is fine. Um, and we do have three more sessions coming up where we're going to be going through it and answering questions. I think we had about 120 people so far attending the calls that we've been having. Um, so it's been, yeah, pretty good engagement. So um, now what I always like to do with the calls is kind of end them with um, a breakout session. And the purpose of this is really a chance to touch base with an actual person so that this isn't just like watching a movie, you know, you're not just watching an episode, you are actually able to meet somebody new. So what I'm going to do is send whoever is remaining off to breakout rooms. Um, I have to finish at one o'clock today. So I'm just going to put you in breakouts for 10 minutes 
and it will be a chance for you just to connect with somebody. There have actually been collaborations that have resulted from breakout rooms that I know of where people meet and then they go on to do something together. So keep that in mind. It's a great chance to meet somebody new and maybe connect with somebody. Well, I do hope you enjoyed that impact call and that hearing from Nicola, Lisa, and myself was interesting. The point of the calls is to really hear new perspectives on good work that's going on across the country. Until next time. (music) 